Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. I just want to uh, uh, say I hope you're having a special, or a really good, happy Labor Day weekend. Uh, I know this is kind of uh, the last gasp uh, for people who like love summer, um, and for those of you who are big fall people, this is a you know huge means to celebrate. So I'm not sure where you fall on that divide. I know I'm really excited for fall, but my wife has been you know grieving here the last few weeks, uh, the cooler weather and uh, the, the the change in the calendar from August to uh, September. So wherever you're at, my heart goes out to you either way. Um, I want to read to you our passage that we're going to be walking through uh, this morning. It's actually the, the very end of the book of Philippians. This has been our uh, sermon series this summer. Um, so let's read that. I'll pray, and then we will see what God has to say to us today. Philippians 4, 10 to, uh, 10 to 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more than uh, once. You, you sent me aid uh, more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning as we uh, wrap up the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians 2,000 years ago. Help us to continue to unpack uh, for, what, for one more service here, Lord, what it is that you have, you're speaking to us today through a document that was written uh, several thousand years ago to a people in a, in a different setting, a different culture than we are, Lord, but uh, we believe that your word still continues to speak to us today in different situations. So I pray that your spirit would be with us as we gather to um, put ourselves under that word uh, and speak to us so that we may also uh, grow from it. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we are wrapping up this series here in the book of Philippians, and you may have noticed uh, as we were uh, reading through um, the passage, uh, a verse that you, if you grew up in the church, you probably have heard many times, Philippians 4.13. Uh, and, and, you know, it could have been the center of, like, youth groups or VBSs or Bible camps for you. I remember at a Bible camp one year hearing that verse for the first time, and you know, being told, like, this is a really important verse, and going and pondering by the lake what it meant for me, um, and the types of things that we often ponder when we think about this verse, especially as we're given it just, you know, the verse by itself is stuff like this, okay? So maybe it's, um, you know, God is going to help you have the power to go dominate in your YMCA basketball league that you play in for Jesus's glory, of course, or maybe he'll help you to uh, free climb a mountain in tennis shoes. I, this looks like a dad chasing his kid up, you know, some mountain or something, and he's about to fall off. 
Or, you know, it might help an ant lift a log, right? Oh, thanks, God. You know, it's this kind of stuff that you see a lot of times uh, when people are talking about this verse, Philippians 4.13. And uh, the problem is, to me at least, is when you see posters like this or, or sentiments like this, or it, it can center uh, things we do as Christians, a lot of times, I feel like it has more in common with motivational posters or sort of power of positive thinking, things, you know, self-help mindset stuff that you see out there right? It's not a whole lot different than, you know, motivational posters maybe you see. You know, sometimes, I don't know if these are really up in offices anymore, but I remember in school growing up or in offices that you'd see sometimes they'd have those motivational posters. You remember those? They kind of have a black outline and they have like one word like teamwork or integrity or something like that with a little quote underneath it and then some pictures of uh, you know, something to inspire you, like some skydivers holding hands as they, you know, fall down. Or actually, I legit remember seeing a, a group of penguins walking along a, a sandy beach, which doesn't make any sense, right? But stuff like that, right? Stuff that's kind of there to motivate you. And this all makes sense that we would take this verse uh, by Paul in our sort of American context, and we would conceive it like this, right? We would apply it like that. Um, but I think if, you know, if Paul were here now, he'd be super confused to see this verse being, first of all, being grabbed upon in this letter to the Philippians and then being applied in the way that we often apply it today. Um, because I think it really kind of trivializes what he's actually talking about, right? It's kind of trite in the light of his actual circumstances uh, that he's going through, as if he's some sort of, you know, um, person who is like us oftentimes, concerned with gaining more, like sort of accumulating more stuff for ourselves, um, gaining something we don't currently have, getting it because we think we need it in order to be complete. And I want to challenge this mindset today because I think it's precisely the opposite of the point that Paul is actually trying to make in the passage. Okay? Now, if you've been following the series that we've been going through, you've read the book of Philippians before, you know one of the big points of the book is that following Jesus isn't always a walk in the park. A lot of times we're going to find ourselves lacking things. We're going to find ourselves in suffering or persecution or pain. Okay? And, and that's, you know, that's, that's part of it. That's, that's, that's part of the goal. It's part of the design of it. Okay? Instead, you know, Paul unpacks for us kind of time and time again in the book of Philippians that dying leads to life, that suffering has meaning, persecution, pain, tribulations, trials, they have meaning, and we're supposed to celebrate in the midst of them because we follow a crucified Lord and Savior. And so when we sort of approach this verse in the context of Philippians, we should have all of that in the background uh, for us. So one more time, let's just recap the situation real quick. We, we did a lot of time at the very beginning of the sermon, back at, at the start of the summer, kind of unpacking what Paul's going through. But I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of what's going on here. So again, we can locate what Paul is, is talking about here specifically. So Paul's in prison. He's in jail. And uh, he's been thrown there for going around preaching a message uh, it seems rather unjust that someone like Paul would be thrown in jail for what he's doing. So he's in jail. He probably feels like unfairly, uh, probably unjustly. Uh, and prison in the ancient world, if you'll remember, was not, there was no sort of system in place. People's taxes uh, went to sort of support prisoners to make sure that they, you know, were getting fed three times a day and had, uh, you know, places that they, you know, could live that were at least somewhat comfortable. That's not the case in the ancient world. 
you got thrown into a cave that had some bars in front of it, and if you wanted to have food to uh, eat each day, you had to have friends who would bring it to you, or you had to have some money you could pay for a delivery service to come bring you some food to eat. Otherwise, you might starve to death, okay? And so, um, Paul is living, you know, he wasn't sure where he was going to get his food. He wasn't sure how he was going to survive this uh, jail sentence. And um, the, the, the Philippians heard about his issue and they raised a gift of money to send to him. And this letter is being written in response to that gift of money that, he, that they sent to him. Okay, so that's the context here. And we also know that, you know, the, the, the message that Paul is, is an apostle to spread is, in fact, he's heard that it is still spreading around around him, but now it's on the lips of bad actors, and there's sort of a bad rap that's associated with it, because there's like, you know, people saying, hey, you know that guy who's got thrown in jail, that Paul guy? Yeah, well, he was talking about this Jesus person, and so if Paul's getting thrown in jail for it, this Jesus person must not be very great either, okay? That's what's, that's what's going on. That's the context of all this that Paul is writing. So if we really want to understand what he means when he talks about being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, this popular verse, we should better understand it by putting ourselves in the shoes of someone who is falsely imprisoned or maybe whose sentence doesn't match the crime. There's, there's, a, there's a mismatch there. Or maybe, you know, we could bring it today to, to certain, you know, uh, people we might know or situations we know going on in the world. Um, a single mother who's struggling to raise uh, for and care for a, a child during a, a global pandemic, uh, or, or someone with a life-threatening reaction to COVID, or an Afghan refugee, right? This is the kind of context I think we, we want to put ourselves in to better understand what Paul is talking about. And so in context, what Paul is talking about here is contentment in the challenging world that we live in. Okay, that's the big point of what he's talking about here and how we should interpret uh, Philippians 4, verse 13. So let me, let me read it again here because he talks about contentment right before it. He's connecting the two specifically. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So it's about contentment here. It's about having what he needs in the midst of challenge and believing that Christ will empower him to be content. Now, what is contentment? I think it's important we talk a little bit about what contentment actually means. And so I want to take a little, you know, I want to really unpack this. I want to spend some time talking about contentment versus maybe happiness, okay? I think there's a difference between the two. Um, and I think it's important that we understand what the difference actually is, because happiness is a really big thing for us today. Contentment is something we talk a little bit less about, maybe. And Daniel Cordero, he is a PhD and the founder and CEO of something called the Contentment Foundation. Uh, apparently, he was hired by Yale. He was given a large uh, grant and a research team to go and study 5,000 years of, of human philosophy and then 200 years of scientific research. And he says in all of that study, he basically found two strategies that humans have to find well-being. All right, so he talked, I'm going to have an extended quote here. I think it's really helpful to kind of read it all, um, but he kind of unpacks his findings and will connect it to what Paul is saying. Okay, so he starts off by saying the first of these two strategies is called the more strategy, where people try to find more money, more power, more stuff, more validation, and more success from the world outside of them. 
If I offered you $1,000 right now, I'm sure you would be very happy. It's okay to admit it. I would be happy too. The only problem is the next question. How long does the happiness last from receiving that money? All right, and this is a little bit, you know, as, as we keep going here, I want you to think through the sort of this is more of the mindset that we often apply to Philippians 4.13, where it's, some, it's about gaining or achieving more, right? Having something we currently don't have, okay? God will help me with the more strategy is how I think we often approach this verse. So whatever dream I have, whatever thing it is that I want to achieve, God is going to help me to have that, okay? And, and I think, like, I've been to like ministry training conferences where this is sort of the talk. This is really like, I'm not just making this up. I've seen this before. I imagine you probably have as well. So he continues, as soon as you put the money into your pocket, the happiness begins to diminish and shortly you'll find yourself needing another hit. While there's nothing wrong with temporary boosts in wellness, the problem is with the more strategy is that it's simply not sustainable. The more strategy costs a lot of time, energy, and resources to keep it up. Browsing the infinite corridors of Amazon.com, you can find over 20,000 self-help books with the word happiness in the title. Each promises a brighter, more positive future through practices that invoke the world's most popular emotion. There's something about happiness that has, that has everyone captivated, but at the same time, few actually seem to find it. So you see him clearly out, out, outlining the issue with this view, right? Always searching, but never truly finding it. Okay? Always looking and getting a hit, kind of like a drug, but then you know, needing another hit in a few days because the happiness doesn't last. And so we can be caught always looking for the next thing, right? Whether it's something small or something big, the next house, the next job, the next car, the next season of life the next vacation that we're going to get on, the next self-confidence boost, or maybe we, we apply it to bigger picture, the next election cycles where we you know, wait for someone else to come along and tell us they're ushering in a new era. They're going to save us all from whatever problem there is in the world. We just think that's going to solve, you know, if we just get out the vote, that's going to be the thing that's going to save us all, right? Either way, we're always looking ahead, assuming the next thing is going to be the thing that finally delivers full happiness for us. And we tell ourselves if we get these things, we'll just finally be happy happy. And then may, maybe we try to enlist God's help in that by throwing a verse at him, right? I, you know, I can, do, I can do everything I want through Jesus who gives me strength. Okay, so that's the first strategy, okay? But now he uh, details the second strategy. This is called the enough strategy, where people direct their attention inward to find the happiness that's already inside them. The root of the word contentment comes from the Latin contentus, which means held together or intact or whole. Now, originally, contentus was used to describe containers, literally things like cups, buckets, and barrels. Later, the word evolved into something that could reflect onto a person, which describes one who feels complete, with no desires beyond themselves. Contentus asks the question, how whole do you feel inside? How complete are you as a human being? This perspective shifts the entire narrative of humanity's quest for something greater. All other emotions require external input, they are reactions to the outside world. Contentment, on the other hand, requires no external input and is sourced entirely from within. Instead of seeking external sources for happiness, which are always going to be out of our control, contentment offers an incredible power and stability. So what he's saying is, instead of searching for more, 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 
this other strategy, the enough strategy, is to you know, look at what we have already. Specifically, he says to turn inward, and we have all that we need. Now, I think he's on to the right track here, and I think what he's saying maps on very well with what Paul is saying, except of, for one sort of maybe important disagreement. For, for him, he says we grab onto some kind of happiness that's already in us, as if we ourselves are sufficient and we have all we need. For the Christian, I think we would agree that we have what we need, but it's not something that we generate, okay? It is something that we have received already. It's something we have been given by God. And understanding that we have that thing, we actually have enough already, is enough to give us contentment. So we think of it like a gift that we've been given, Okay, and Paul talks a little bit about this in Philippians 4, 19, the very last verse we read. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So here he talks about riches, okay, a trove, right? Like an like a unlimited bank account that we have access to that's enough to sustain us through whatever we need. And actually, this, this is an important way to think about it because when Paul thought about the gift that had been given to us through Jesus, he's mapping on and, you know, the way that in which the ancient world sort of viewed gift-giving and how that would sustain people or communities. So in the ancient world, you had this thing called civic eugerterism, okay? And, and this is actually how most things got done in the ancient world. You would have, uh, most things that got done in the world were not done through taxing people. Uh, it was done through rich benefactors who all the money was basically located among a few wealthy elites and they, would, they, were, they saw it as like a good thing to sort of fund uh, the world that they lived in uh, so that projects could get done or, or people could have enough to eat. Now, it, it wasn't always perfect. It led to a system of bribing a lot of times and, uh, it, you know, corruption. that We would call this corruption a lot of times, but it is actually how things got done. So you had a rich benefactor who would supply people and the gift would come in to transform things for people. Now, for Paul, God is like a rich benefactor who has given us a gift, something that is all we need to transform us and the circumstances around us, okay? And we're the recipients. We're relying on his gift being the thing that helps us to to survive in the world. So we're completely dependent and reliant on him and his gift. And so this gift comes to us even though we're undeserved and we're unfitting for it. And the gift is this. The gift is Jesus himself that God made himself lower than us in order to raise us up, that he defeated sin and death, including our own, giving us hope in the future, and that he was faithful to his promises to restore his broken world, to forgive us of sin, to make us new, and to give us the tools as we follow Jesus to participate with him through the power of the Holy Spirit in spreading the effects of this gift to all those around us. And so this gift is designed to be sufficient, to draw to completion the, 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 the reason it was given to us. And if you remember the very first sermon we did in this series, we, we really highlighted uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says um, that God is going to finish the good work that he started in us. He was confident that the good work that God had started in us by giving us the gift of Jesus would complete the task that it was assigned to us for. All right, so going back to that, we have all we need. It was given to us when we accepted this gift, the grace of Christ. And so instead of always looking forward to the next big thing to satisfy us, right? Assuming God needs to continue to put gifts out in front of us that we scoop up like we're Pac-Man, you know, flying around, just chomping down more gifts from him, we have everything that we need already, okay? And we can look back 
on that. Look back to understand that the gift had a completeness to it, to where we don't need any more. Okay? We need to tune ourselves to the gospel constantly. We talk about this a lot at Red City. We use that language of tuning ourselves like instruments back to the thing that you know, forms us to the, where we can be tuned rightly to kind of go out and do what we're supposed to do, to go out and do what we're called to do. We have to tune ourselves back to the gospel constantly. And that helps us to be content, to assume we have what we need. Now, when we do this, here's what we'll find. Okay? This is what it looks like for us to, to rely on God for uh, contentment. We will find often that God does a lot with a little. Okay, so a lot of times we compare ourselves to other people and we think, you know, they have everything that they need to get their stuff done and I can't get it done because I don't have what they have. But I think often what what we'll realize is that God does a lot more with what we have than we think he can. Okay, a lot of times we think we need, you know, this, 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 and this to accomplish the goal. God, give me this, 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 and this. And what we'll find is often God does far more with a little bit than we could ever imagine. Um, I have an example of this in my own life, right? Uh, I was doing my ministry training, and it was support raised. So I had to sort of rely on uh, support from people to come in and just, just tell me get food on the table a lot of days, put gas in my car to drive Julie around to nice dates, okay? And so um, anyway, I remember going into the spring semester of this and not being entirely sure where I was going to get the money that I needed. And I kind of had calculated like, around, amount, like, the, the, about like, the base level of money that I need in order to make it. You know, not you know, live in large, but just kind of making it. And I didn't know where this was going to come from. And one day, all of a sudden, a, a friend of mine who you know, I had no clue was considering this just said, hey, would this amount of money like be enough to help you out for the rest of the year? And I was like, yeah, I think that's exactly what I need in order to just, to just make it. And so he donated it to me. He felt led by God to do it, and that was exactly what I needed. And, and so I think in our minds oftentimes, we, we, we think we know exactly what we need, and God gives us instead what it is that we actually need. Okay? We have this idea in our mind of we need so much to accomplish uh, you, you know, whatever it is we think we, we need to accomplish, but God will give us exactly what we need. And often it's, 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 it's not, you know, it, it's like um, Jesus with the, the bread uh, and, the, and the loaves of fish, right? Where uh, they're looking around at this crowd and they're like, how are we going to feed all these people? We have like a few loaves of bread and some fish, and it actually ends up being exactly what they need in order to accomplish the task. Yet they had no clue. They thought they needed to go out and get a, you know, a catering service to come out to, to take care of all these people, but it actually was exactly what they needed. And the gift from Christ uh, is exactly what we do need for what we're called for. Now, it's important that we understand, you know, what it is we're called for, because God's going to supply what we need in order to walk along this path that he's called us to, which means we need to understand what God is calling us for. And just as little plug here. We're actually doing a class this fall, which is going to be about sort of discerning our identity and calling in Jesus, right? We all have uh, the same calling in a lot of ways, but we're also all wired uniquely and called to specific good works that are, we're, you know, our paths that we lot, walk along that are, you know, unique to us. And it's important for us to know what that is so we can walk in those paths and so we can understand that we're being given what we need for that specific thing. So that's going to be in October uh, on Tuesday nights. Um, so we'd love to have you join us for that class here, right, right here at the Knox. Okay, so let's move on to the next thing. God sustains us in uh, community, okay? God's gift sustains us in community. And um, 
Paul says this in verses 14 and 15. Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. Now remember, the Philippians have given Paul a gift. They've, they're sharing in his troubles by helping to supply his need, by giving him this gift of money. All right? So they thought it was their duty to, by, you know, in following Jesus to help supply Paul with what Paul needed. All right? So as you Philippians know, in the early days of uh, our acquaintance with the gospel when I set up for Macedonia, not one church shared with me okay? But you guys have always been there to supply my need, okay? In this moment and in the past, you guys have been supplying me, all right? And, and so I think what Paul is saying here and how this applies to us is God is going to supply our needs through each other, okay? Through the community. As we each follow Jesus, as we discern what it means to follow him specifically, we're going to be supplying each other's needs, and that often is how God is going to supply what we need, okay? So, you know, be willing to jump in and help each other out. In an increasingly idealized and lonely world where the ties that bind us together are more and more constantly frayed, God's gift of the gospel is going to stitch us together and it's going to help to supply us. Both our need for, for, for friendship and community and also many of our other literal needs, okay? So it's important for us to be in community so that God can sustain us through his people, all right, and then finally, uh, God's gift gives us meaning, comfort, and hope. Um, and so the, the, the call to follow Jesus, to partake in salvation, is not a call to a sort of perfect Instagrammable life, right? This is, again, this is the big idea behind the book of Philippians. And it never was that. If that was our expectation coming in, um, you know, we've been sold some magic beans, and we have to recognize that, you know, what it means to follow Jesus is not that we're going to be able to take a snapshot of it every single day and talk about how great it is. But it does, okay, the call to follow Jesus does give us what we need to endure well into, into the time of resurrection, okay, to endure, to run the race, to persevere, which we talked about a few weeks ago, until the redemption of all things. And so what we need oftentimes is to be able to endure to that moment, and the way that we endure oftentimes is through having meaning, comfort, and hope in the midst of our challenges. So if it's meaning, right, it gives us meaning. It makes sense of what we go through, okay? Even if it doesn't rescue us from trouble, it helps us to know how to look at it and how to uh, understand it and how to think of ourselves in the midst of our challenges, okay? It tells us that a lot of times suffering might actually benefit us, right? It might actually help us to be, look more like Jesus, I think sometimes happiness, you know, can kind of fog our minds to the way the world actually works, okay? It can make us forget that everything really ultimately is a gift, right? We're, we're constantly relying upon God for everything that we have, okay? And, and when we're in a time of, of, of pure success or happiness, we can lose that, you know, lose that. We, can, we lose the fact that God is sustaining us even in that moment, and so when we find ourselves in a, a period of challenge, we are reminded of that truth and cast ourselves more uh, perfectly upon him. Now, this is just, just a side note here. This is why it's really important that we grieve when things go wrongly, right? When we really embrace the challenges, when we, you know, under, when we let ourselves lament things because it, it lets us know things aren't going perfectly and that we need to rely on God, okay? If we're always trying to have a mindset of like, things are always good, things are always good, like, it doesn't allow us to actually, you know, remember that we need to rely on God for everything that we have. So it's good to grieve because it reminds us that we need to rely on God and that helps us to have meaning in the midst of our challenge. The gift also gives us comfort 
to know that when things fall apart, that doesn't mean that God's not working, okay? It reminds us that we have all that we need to be supplied through whatever challenge that we're living through, okay? It gives us comfort in that. It helps us to know that when we suffer, we're participating with the crucified one and his comfort to come alongside us, to understand us is always there available for us. And then finally, it gives us hope, okay? If well-being, if, if success, if happiness, if contentment, if it really did rely on looking at ourselves or always acquiring the next green pasture, think about how depressing that would actually be. We would be in constant motion, okay? We would always be looking for the next thing. Just, just think how exhausting that is, right? That, that's no way to live, always seeking for the next thing to give us the next hit, right? If, if, you've ever, you know, if, if you've ever lived that out in your life, you know how exhausting that can be to always be constantly seeking that out. And even you, you read this, when you read, you know, really successful people talk about themselves, they often bring this up, that they have reached the pinnacle of what it means to be in their field, and they often find a hole in their hearts. Like, you read this consistently, that this is how people feel a lot of times when they reach the pinnacle, right? Because there's no green, no more green grass to go get, right? But in their mind, there was always some new thing to go grab a hold of. And when they ran out of new stuff to go grab a hold of, they realized how empty they actually were, right? This allows us to have hope in the midst of our challenge that we don't need to just go find some new green pasture, but we've been supplied all that we, we need by God. And so um, what I want us to do is, is to move into time here of, of prayer and, re- and reflection upon, uh, upon the gift that we've been given. And, and uh, after I pray, we're going to enter into a time of communion, where we, uh, which we take every single week to remind us of the gift that's been given to us in Jesus. Okay, the gift that comes to us because Jesus allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for us. Okay? There's a reason we center every service upon this because it tunes us back to what it is that gives us true contentment. Jesus himself, the gift that keeps on giving and that we come to remind ourselves of every single Sunday that we have all that we need in him. So let's pray. We'll enter into that time and, and, and worship God for it. Lord, we thank you that you have given us all we need through your son, Jesus. We thank you that the gift that continues to supply all of our needs, that continues to make us content, no matter what uh, challenges that come upon us, God, is something that is secure in us, that has been given, that will see its good work through to completion, God. We thank you so much that you have given it to us, Lord, despite the fact that we're completely unworthy of it that we're undeserving of it, that it's a gift that doesn't fit the people that it's been given to, yet you give it to us anyway, and it transforms our realities and the realities of those around us. Help us to know how to lean upon that gift, God, in good times and in bad, Lord. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.